Hi, and welcome back to the Multifaceted Athlete with Coaching Lutz. I'm your host, Kelly Lutz. I am a USGA certified running and ultra running coach and certified strength and conditioning specialist. I am so excited to have you here today. We'll be talking all about running, aspects of running, strength training, and anything else that makes us humans who do sports. So let's dive right into this episode. I hope you love it. Hello, welcome back to another episode of The Multifaceted Athlete. Most of you know I was in Leadville this past weekend. So that's what this episode is going to be about, all about my experience crewing and pacing for Lucy at the Leadville 100. It was very fun. Honestly, I've been trying to psych myself up all day to record this podcast because I am still so tired (laughs) from not sleeping much or eating much, honestly, this weekend. But yeah, so much happened. It was so exciting. If you can go to Leadville to spectate, to crew, whatever pace, do it. So let's let's get into it. So this past weekend, level 100 started on Saturday at 4 a.m. So I got there on Friday to meet up with Lucy and meet the rest of her crew because I had only met them over Zoom because we had a crew meeting a couple weeks ago just to go over some logistics, what Lucy wanted for the race and who was going to pace what and how all that was going to go down. So I met Lena, Joel, and Ben in person and felt immediately welcomed into the group, which was super awesome because I was going to be spending the next at least 24 hours straight (laughs) while starting at 4 a.m. with them as we drove around trying to meet up with Lucy and get her what she needed. So Friday wasn't super eventful. We hung out in the van and got, you know, everything situated for the next day, talked about logistics. Basically, we were going to, when Lucy started, go straight to the outward bound um, aid station and then be in the van all day. So, Lucy, understandably, wanted to go to bed early and was sleeping in the van with everyone else, and I slept in my car on the street. So, yeah, that night I tried to go to bed early, and I organized all my stuff for the next morning so that at the 3 o'clock hour when I woke up to get Lucy to the start, I wouldn't have to shuffle anything around. It would all be ready. I was not really successful in falling asleep early, as one might imagine. First of all, street lights very bright when you're sleeping in the back of a RAV4. (laughs) Um, And it was surprisingly hot in my car, which I did not expect for being at 10,000 feet. For those unaware, Leadville sits at 10,000 feet. So that's one of the things that makes Leadville 100 so hard. A lot of it is above 10,000 feet. And that is high altitude. Even living, I live around 5,300, 5,400 feet in Arvada. It's not the same. It's 10,000 feet. So, uh, yeah, sleeping in altitude, sleeping in the car. Not great sleep on Friday night leading into a full day of crewing and pacing, but we did what we could. Honestly, I think I got almost six hours because I woke up a little after three since I wasn't in the van. 
Um, they all woke up a little earlier so that Lucy could get in some food and digest it a bit before, you know, starting to run 100 miles. So, yeah, Saturday, the day of the race. We were only two blocks from the start, which is partially why we chose to sleep where we did, which was nice because it was a pretty short walk to get her to the start. So, but before we took Lucy to the start, as I was waking up in my car and getting everything situated, I some cars had started to pull in around me since we were close to the start and, you know, they were mostly runners getting dropped off for the start or something like that. And so this car parked behind me and I was wearing my coaching clutch sweatshirt that day and I got out of my car and then I hear, oh my God, Kelly, is that you? And I turn around, it's dark. I don't know who this is. And she's like, it's me, Colleen. So it was Colleen who I've gone running with before, Colleen Miracle on Instagram. And I actually don't know if that's her handle, but that's her name. And it was really exciting because she was running the 100 and it was just funny out of you know, over 800 runners, the one that pulls up behind me and parks there is someone I know. So that was a really cool start to the day. So we get Lucy to the start. There are so many people. It was so exciting and did not feel like 4 a.m. to be honest. Like I said, over 800 people were running this race. So the start corral was very crowded. We, We got Lucy up towards the front and yeah, we watched everyone start. And then immediately we got into the van and headed towards Outward Bound. So Outward Bound is the second aid station where we could see Lucy. The first one is May Queen, which is a little more than 12 miles from the start. And this year you could not drive and park at May Queen for the first aid station. You could later in the race, which we'll get to, um, because Leadville is an out and back. So they come through all the aid stations twice. So we decided Lucy would not need aid at the first aid station since it was only 12 miles in. And we decided to go straight to Outward Bound, which was 23 and a half miles. So we would meet her there. And at the in the first half of the race, the aid stations are very crowded because everyone's still in the race. Leadville is not known for many people finishing. So as the race went on um, and we went back to aid stations. Like once we got back, well, I guess I wasn't with them when we got back to Outward Bound, but we'll get into that later. But as the race goes on, aid stations tend to get less crowded, um, except Twin Lakes, which is the biggest aid station. And yeah, so anyway, we went to Outward Bound first and we weren't expecting Lucy to come through until around 8 a.m. We got there at like just after 4.30 a.m., I think. So they have... A bed in the van and then there was an air mattress under the bed it's like a double decker situation but apparently that popped in the middle of the night when uh lucy and ben were trying to sleep on it so they also had a dog in the van so there was a dog bed on the bottom so ben tried to sleep down there and then myself lena and joel were on the bed trying to sleep a little bit before we woke up fully to have breakfast and coffee and all that. And it was, you know, it might sound very uncomfortable to have three people laying in a bed in a van, but it was extremely comfortable. And all of us fell asleep and woke up at 6 a.m. And then it was 
time for us to start getting ready. But we still had plenty of time before Lucy would come through. And the way that Leadville does tracking, we didn't have live tracking, but we did have when she passed through May Queen so we could see if she was running at the pace we expected her to be running or if she was running a little faster. She was running a little faster. So we plan to get out to where we need to be at our bound a little early just so we wouldn't miss her because that would be awful because <laughs> at our bound we needed to swap out some of her fuel see if she needed anything all of that good stuff so we woke up around six and we were just laying around made some coffee had breakfast we had pancakes and sausage joel made all of this it was freaking amazing and yeah then we we already had everything for Lucy organized into like three tote bags. So we had her fuel. I say, wait, Lucy did all of this, which was amazing. She put all of the fuel that she would need to swap out for every aid station in plastic baggies um, with the names on it. So we could easily pull it and know what we had to swap out. So we had all those in a tote. We had a tote of extra layers in case she needed them. And then a tote of extra fuel, sunscreen, recovery cream, kind of stuff like that, pills and whatnot, anything that she might need that we are not anticipating, but just in case to have it there. So coming through our bound, she was even more ahead of time. I think by this point, she was 15 minutes ahead of what we had estimated. So we have, going back a little bit, so Lucy's one of my athletes, and for all any of my athletes running an ultra um, and sometimes shorter trail races, I make a race plan spreadsheet so that it's easy to see an estimation of how long it'll take athletes to get between aid stations so that they know how much fuel and hydration to carry or how much they will need to get from aid stations. And specifically for Leadville, it was really useful so that we as a crew could see around what time do we expect Lucy to be coming through. So when do we need to be at the aid station out there ready to get her on her way. So at this point, she was about 15 minutes ahead of what I had estimated, which was really cool. I think at this point, she was in third place female, which was exciting. And May Cream went well, she told us. And Outward Bound, <laughs> there was a little hiccup. So uh, Lena and Ben ran out to meet Lucy because they kind of run into Outward Bound and crew aren't allowed past a certain point so we were hanging behind but people can run the runner in so they were running her in swapping out her fuel and figuring out what she needs and lena yells over to us she needs sunscreen so i'm holding the tote bag and i'm looking in it and i don't see sunscreen and i was like joel do you know where the sunscreen is and i'm freaking out at this point because i'm like oh my god this is our one job to have things that she needs so joel goes back to the other tote bag is searching through it this very nice guy next to me is like, does your runner need sunscreen? I have a bag full of sunscreen. I was like, oh my God, thank you. So I grab it. I run over to Lucy. I was like, I don't know which one you want. There's so many in here. I don't know where ours is. And then Lena goes, Ben had it in his pocket. <laughs> so it was fine. She got her sunscreen on, got her fuel swapped out. Um, all was well. Minor panic session, but big thanks to the guy that was part of a different crew that... <laughs> gave me sunscreen in case we needed it so 
Lucy doesn't spend much time at aid stations. She is really quick about getting what she needs and being on her way, which is especially when you're trying to race hard during an ultra. Spending less time in aid stations in general is a strength because it cuts down your total time. Um, Obviously, there are times when you want to spend a little more time in aid stations, but when things are going well, you want to spend as least time as possible to be on your way, especially since, you know, being in third place female, we were like, oh, this day could be really awesome for Lucy. So she's in, she's out. And by this point, it's a little before 8 a.m. And the line of cars coming into Outward Bound was insane. There were so many cars. So we were lucky because Lucy was towards the front. So we got to Outward Bound early and then we were leaving early because right after she passed through, we left and we're heading to Twin Lakes, which was the next aid station where we could see her. And this is the aid station we would be spending a lot of time at. After Outward Bound, it is... 14.4 miles to Twin Lakes, and then from there, Lucy would be heading over Hope Pass down to Winfield and then back over Hope Pass to Twin Lakes. So we would have a many-hour stretch between when we'd see Lucy at Twin Lakes the first time and then when she'd be back. So we headed straight there. We couldn't have gotten there much after like 8.30-ish, and there were so many cars already parked down the road to get to the Twin Lakes aid station. We actually got pretty lucky. We did park about a half mile away from the aid station, which, you know, most of the people there are endurance athletes in some some way, shape, or form. So a half mile, not a super long walk, especially when you're the crew and you're not the one running 100 miles, you know? So that was fine. And we actually parked somewhere where there was a porta potty not far away, like two cars behind us. There was a porta potty just on the side of the road, which was really awesome because then we could hang out in the van, but also have the bathroom right there and not have to go all the way down to the aid stations to where the line of porta potties was. So that was super dope very lucky of us. And getting to Twin Lakes this early, obviously we weren't the earliest ones. There were so many crews already set up. This aid station is freaking massive. But later in the day, just looking at the line of cars, I don't know what road we are parked on, but if you've been to the Twin Lakes area, it is if you're heading into the town from east, the east side on the north side of Twin Lakes. And the line of cars later in the day, people had to park so far away. It was wild. There are so many people there. So this is still in the first half of the race. Most people, when they drop out and get a DNF, do not finish. It's usually when they're going over Hope Pass twice. Um, A lot of people missed cutoffs there this year because it was a super hot day. It was, the high was, a, I think the high when I looked was 77 and it got up to 77 in the middle of the day, which might not sound super hot to a lot of you, but keep in mind, at 10,000 feet, it feels so much hotter than 77 
and the sun is just brutal. And especially if you're pushing yourself really hard in a race setting, especially one where you're going for so long that you need to be able to take in fuel. A lot of people's stomachs got really messed up and they missed the cutoffs either over Hope Pass, coming back from Hope Pass into Twin Lakes. So all of that to say, Twin Lakes is where kind of like everyone is together. Because like I said, we as a crew could only see the runners coming into and out of Twin Lakes. So we couldn't see them at any point once they were over Hope Pass, over to Winfield, which is the halfway point. So everyone's just kind of hanging out here all day waiting for their runners, whether they're coming inbound or outbound. And it was, there's so many people. I don't know how we they fit all these people. Because Twin, Twin Lakes is a little village. But yeah, the aid station itself, gosh, I would say, so when I started running, I ran from our spot to the timeout and it was 0.2 miles and I wasn't at the end of the aid station. So it must have been over a quarter of a mile for the full, it's like kind of like um a horseshoe shape, but not curved like that, you know, more you like and just cruise lining up the whole thing. So it's really cool as a runner to be running through because you just have so many people cheering for you, which when you're in a 100-mile race, that is super important, just having the boost of everyone around you. So aid stations are awesome. And Twin Lakes especially, it was a really cool place to hang out for most of the day. So we honestly got super lucky when we walked down to the aid station too because we didn't have any plans of where to set up our stuff. We just had, you know, each of us had a camp chair and then we had all the tote bags because we were – planning on just seeing Lucy as she went through and then going back to the van, figure out what we needed and what we wanted to do until she came back again, which would be about six or seven hours later. But we found a spot next to this really nice woman who had a giant tent. A lot of people had giant tents, which looking back is like, duh. (laughs) But it was my first time at Leadville, so I had no idea what to expect. And then last year, Lena had volunteered at Outward Bound, so I don't know if she had been to Twin Lakes. But there were so many people with giant tents, which honestly super helpful on a day like Saturday. Like I said, it was super hot, super, super sunny. It did sprinkle a bit, but like not too much. It was mostly just straight sunshine. And she let us set up right next to her tent because there was a little spot in between her big tent and a smaller tent. And yeah, she would basically just like hang out with me all day, which was really cool. And that was really fun. So when Lucy passed through, it was mile 37.9. She was still ahead of time. So she was charging. It was awesome. We did, before she came into Twin Lakes, get a text from her. Lena and I got a text from her saying she needed KT tape on her left knee and body glide so we were kind of like "Ooh, what's going on with the knee that's kind of scary but especially that early in a race because she wasn't even halfway yet so we were like oh no I hope it's okay I hope it's not too bad so I'm waiting for that but Lucy's sex were so nice she would say what she needed and she'd be like love you guys (laughs) 
It was, it was so cute. Um, but she came through. We tried to put KT tape on. Later in the day, she told me it lasted for about one minute after she got out of the aid station. So not super helpful, but she was still in really good spirits, ready to go over Hope Pass and get the the hardest elevation part of the race done. So like I said, she she's in and out of aid stations. We didn't see her for that long. And then we had a lot of hours until she got back. And when she would return to Twin Lakes, that's when my pacing section would begin. So I was pacing her from Twin Lakes back to Outward Bound, which is 14.4 miles. Oh, now that I'm thinking about that, it must have been 0.4 miles through the aid station because my final... Anyway, the aid station, somewhere between a quarter and a half mile in length, lined with crew. So... After Lucy left, we decided to hang out down at the A station for a bit, cheer on the runners that were coming through. And honestly, the hardest part of the day for me was this chunk because it was hot just sitting there. I knew I was going to be running. We were estimating she would pick me up around 5 p.m. And then I thought it would take us like three and a half hours to run to Outward Bound. So, you know, 5 to 8.30 p.m., which is a hard time of day to run, if you ask me. (laughs) Um, So I knew I needed to be hydrating, especially at that altitude, especially with a lack of sleep. I knew I wanted to try to nap, and I knew I should try to eat enough. I think the only thing I succeeded in was hydrating well. (laughs) Uh, At one point, I went back to the van and tried to take a nap, and it was so hot in the van because it was, like, middle of the day. It was either noon or one, I think. I think it was one when I tried to take a nap, Um, and Ben was trying to take a nap, too, and we were just cooking in the van. So, like, I laid down for an hour. I think I fell asleep for, I don't know, maybe a half hour, but... I could just, I could hear my heart pounding and this is when your watch is not helpful because like this truly psyched me out. But I would look at my Garmin because obviously I was wearing it all day and um, on my main screen, I have heart rate as one of the, my default metrics and I just saw my heart rate. I'm, I'm laying on a bed, not moving. My heart rate was at like 90s and I was like, Oh, Lord, this is a not good. So that did not help me try to take a nap. (laughs) But I think I got a little bit of rest, which helped a little bit. But yeah, my heart rate was so high all day. And if you follow me on Instagram, I posted (laughs) my body battery with the stress overlay uh, from Garmin from that day. And my body battery got down to five, which is the lowest it's ever been. And all day, (laughs) you can see it's just like high stress because my heart rate was so high all day, even when I was just laying there or sitting at the aid station, not even running yet, which was wild. So I can't, can't even imagine how the runners felt with that heat running through it, pushing themselves, trying to fuel, trying to hydrate enough in between eight stations. And yeah, so kudos, kudos to everyone who was running out there today, whether you made cutoffs or not. That 
is it looked so hard. So after trying to nap, we were just hanging out and I got everything I needed to make sure I was ready for our section. Got all my fuel, my hydration, anything extra for Lucy. So I was carrying some extra fuel for her, her headlamp. Those were the big ones because since we knew that she was picking me up fairly early and we'd be running mostly daylight and it was hot, we did not think she would need any extra layers, which honestly this part was nice because then I didn't have to carry extra layers for myself either. And yeah, at the end, we did not need any more layers, even though we ended up running a little bit in the dark, but mostly in the day. So while we were back at Twin Lakes waiting for Lucy to come through, Clara showed up. And Clara is another one of my athletes. She was supposed to be pacing someone else that we know, and she was going to maybe be starting at Twin Lakes. So she came and hung out with us for a bit. And she found out that her runner, I don't remember if this was before I got picked up by Lucy or after, but she found out her runner didn't make the Hope Pass cutoff. So then from that point, she ended up hanging out with us until the end of the race, which was really cool and fun. So Lucy got back to Twin Lakes around just about 5 p.m., a little after, which was exactly what I predicted, which is pretty cool, to be honest. Um, And she was covered in dirt. It was all over her face, all over her hands, her shoulder, and not so much her legs because she had to walk through water after Hope Pass. That got washed away. But she told us that she took a fall coming down Hope Pass the second time. And luckily, she had there was no blood anywhere, just a lot of dirt. Her shoulder was sore. But all things considered, taking a bad fall, she got out pretty, pretty nicely. Um, So at this point, she's in second place, which is really exciting. But we also learned, and this was mile 62 and a half, we also learned that at this point, she couldn't take in anything solid. So we went into crisis mode, liquid fuel only. Uh, And we weren't sure which liquid fuel would work. So we had a lot of options. We had like Cliff Liquid Shot, Science and Sport, which I'll talk about them in a bit. I gave her one of my Spring Energy Awesome Sauce because it's close enough to liquid and it's higher calorie and higher carb, uh, which we wanted because not being able to take in anything solid meant she was behind on fueling at this point, which, you know, is never ideal in a long run or a race. So that was our plan. Goose. We got a lot of goose to try. And so we were, like I said, we were like a little ways from the time mat. So when we were leaving Twin Lakes, we would have to run through all the crew to get to the the actual aid station where like the aid station fuel and hydration and the med tent and everything was right before the time mat before we get on the trail. So Lucy wanted to try to eat ramen. So she was like, can you run ahead and get me some ramen? And Clara decided to run with me. And I had my pacer bib on at this point. And everyone thought Clara was the runner. So they were cheering for her. And she was like, no, it's not me. I'm not the runner. I'm just helping out. 
And she was so embarrassed. And I thought it was so funny. I would have felt the exact same way if it had been me not being the pacer. Because, you know, it's normal for me, the pacer, to be running through. But everyone thought she was the second place female and was like, who are you? Because she didn't have a bib on. (laughs) So we ran there. We got some ramen for Lucy to try. She had a little bit, which was good. Because then we knew, like, some ramen would work, broth would work, and that is good for every aid station moving forward. And then that's when Lucy and I started our pacing segment. So coming out of Twin Lakes, going back towards Outward Bound, we immediately started a climb that was like 1,300 feet in three-ish miles. And let me tell you, it was rough. And I was fresh. (laughs) So I cannot imagine how Lucy felt. Like I said, she was at mile 62 and a half by this point. She had already done the most gain in a climb on Hope Pass. But this climb coming out of Twin Lakes and then one coming out of Outward Bound called Powerline are also punchy small climbs that take a lot out of you. But at this point, she was in super good spirits. And we were just having a lot of fun chatting. (laughs) And I think it was really nice for her to finally have someone to be with. Because up until this point, 100K, she was all alone, you know. But the climb, like I said, it was rough. It It took a good amount out of me. And it wasn't the last climb that we were doing on our section. It was definitely the worst of the climbs. But after that point, we would either start going like on flat ground or down a little bit and then there'd be another little incline which was just kind of like when you've never run a section you don't know what to expect so each one I was like oh how many of these are there gonna be (laughs) Um, and if you listened to last week's episode you knew I was nervous going into this pacing segment because Lucy is quite fast and I was nervous that I would be holding her back or not being able to keep up. So that I kind of was thinking about it all day and was like, I think I reached a point of acceptance. Like whatever's going to happen is going to happen. I'm going to try my best to run as hard as she needs me to run. And honestly, my main job is to make sure she is taking in fuel, water, and is mentally doing okay so like keeping her in good spirits and all of that and if she's feeling super good and wants to go ahead and I'm like tapped out for some reason then that's fine so I had come to accept this she didn't end up dropping me whenever she would run after we got done with the climbs it was like a gradual downhill for the rest of the way um she would get a little bit ahead of me and then I would just shout down the trail like I'm still here don't worry I am coming (laughs) just keep going you're doing great so yeah she was moving really well in this segment there were a couple times where she turned me she was like I'm in a pretty low place right now which understandable we are getting into the 70s of miles at this point but yeah it was honestly I don't remember super much from our pacing segment, (laughs) which is kind of weird to say because it was three, it was three and a half, three hours and 45 minutes, which is what I expected. My 
watch at the end of the day said 14.9 miles, which is, you know, almost 15 miles. It's a pretty good long run. But yeah, we were mostly talking about, oh, we talked about so many random things. But then, you know, we talked about like what fuel is working. What does she want to ingest? How is she feeling mentally? How was Hope Pass? How has the rest of the race been? We talked a little bit about her goals. Um, at this point, she was still in second. So, you know, having 30 some miles left, she was like, I want a podium. And I was like, you can podium. I believe you can podium. So one of our goals for the segment was to keep the gap that she had on third place, which at this point was about 15 minutes. And yeah, so we did, we actually ran a good amount for being fairly late in the race. And oh, the science and sport gels, like I mentioned before that I'd be talking about them. Those were one of the fuels we thought would work. Come to find out, they like to explode a lot. So we had a debacle at Twin Lakes aid station in one of her later aid station bags where one of them exploded and the gel was all over everything. And then I was, I had them for myself too because they have electrolytes in them along with carbs, which is really nice, especially when you don't have an electrolyte mix in your, um, in your liquid. So I had one and then I had like half of one because I didn't want all of it at the time and then I put it in my vest and somehow all of it squeezed out. So it squeezed out, got all over my vest, went through my vest, all over my shirt, which then I touched my shirt all over my hand. Everything was sticky. So, you know, I am never buying science and sport ever again. And I'm I don't want to slander them, but I'm sorry. I can't deal with <laughs> these explosions, especially when, you know, when they explode and you're expecting to have it as fuel and then stop there anymore because it's all over everything. Anyway, it was a mess. But after that point, Lucy didn't want those, so it didn't really matter. So in our section, we passed through one fluid-only aid station. We are really hoping they would have Coke because... Coke was one of the things she could take in. And Coke, if you haven't had Coke as fuel during a long run or ultra or afterwards to replenish, it is amazing. One, Coke is delicious. Two, Coke has sugar in it, which we can use for energy. Um, and it's simple sugar, so it's like easily digestible. And it's a liquid, so it goes down easy. So we are really hoping for Coke. And then they didn't have any Coke which was a bummer. But there was one more aid station we would go through before getting to Outward Bound, where I was dropping her off, which was the Half Pipe aid station. They had Coke, they had ginger ale, they had broth, which was great because Lucy's stomach wasn't feeling super great. Um, So took in some of that. They also had goose, which were the only thing at this point that was going down easy and settling. We stocked up there for her and at this point we thought we only had 5.8 miles until outward bound which in my mind I was like okay this is a manageable chunk we have already gone nine miles at this point according to my watch and they had a sign that said 7.5 miles until outward bound 
And I looked at Lucy and I was like, we have seven and a half miles left. And she was like, I don't know. The spreadsheet said 5.8. And I was like, yeah, I know. I made that spreadsheet. I know what this says. Since when is there 7.5 miles between half pipe and outward bound? So I had a, a minor freak out <laughs> there because 7.5 miles until outward bound would mean I was running 16 and a half miles, not almost 15. And, you know, it doesn't sound like there's that big of a difference, but my longest run in this training block has been 14.75. And, you know, this weekend I'm racing a 16 miler, which might be 17 miles based on the GPX file that I downloaded yesterday. So like, it's not like I can't do 16.5, but mentally I was not prepared to pace for 16 and a half miles because that's, that's long. That's a long time. So yeah, I was like, holy shit, this might be more brutal than I expected. But then I was like, at this point, what can I do? I can't do anything. We're just going to go. We're going to hope that what we originally thought, 5.8 miles, is correct. If it's not correct, we will deal with that when we get there. So we keep going. By this point, we're on a dirt Jeep road. So, And it was gradual downhill, flat and downhill. So the running was fairly easy at this point. Um, compared to before we were on the, I think, I can't remember if it was the Colorado Trail or the CDT or both, if that's where they are aligned. Um, but we were on, you know, more of a single track, double track kind of trail with more rocks. It wasn't super technical by any means, but it was more like y- you need to watch where you're placing your foot at some points versus the Jeep Road, which is like, all right, just get into a gear and keep going. So between half pipe and outward bound, there was one more place we would pass through. It was an additional crew access point. We wouldn't see Lucy's crew there because they were waiting outbound, outward bound. But when we passed through, there were a lot of crew at this checkpoint. And I don't know how, but they all knew Lucy by name. And so when we came through, everyone was cheering go Lucy. And it was just the coolest experience ever. Like a long stretch. I want to say, I don't know. I'm really bad at estimating, but I'm going to guess like 300, 400 meters of a line of people just cheering for her. And it was just like so uplifting at that point. So I can't even imagine how she felt just hearing everyone cheer for her. And yeah, it was a really special, special place to go through. And I think that's a really cool thing about being on the crew and at the aid stations and wherever you can see runners is like, you can really help runners through their race and through low points just by cheering for them because it just like gives you an immediate boost of adrenaline, you know? So that was really cool. It was, I got a little emotional, I'm not going to lie. Cause I was like, this is the coolest thing ever. So after that, we continued on the Jeep road and we were like, kind of like in this wooded section and we were coming to the end of it. So we were running down out and outward bound is an aid station in an open field. So we were coming to a point where we were kind of like turning and we could see across the field and we could see the lights of outward bound in the distance. Uh, we weren't running straight towards it. The course goes 
if our bound is northwest from where we were, we were running east and then a hard left north and then kind of like a diagonal over to the northwest, if you can imagine that or if you've seen the course profile. So we knew it was fairly close. To me, I was like, the fact that we can see this, this is very encouraging because I, I can see where we're going now, you know, versus running in in a, on a trail in the woods. You're like, I have no idea how much farther I have or like where I'm going. It's kind of like once you see the finish line of the race and you're like, oh my God, I'm so close. So that helped a lot. This is the point when Lucy said she was in a low, but she still like she was moving really well. She looked really well. She wasn't complaining or anything um, outwardly to me. So in from my outsider's perspective, she was still – I knew she was in a lot of pain at this point and she was battling it, but she was doing so well. And it was so inspirational. Inspirational. Yeah, that's a word. Oh, my God. It's 3.30 p.m. on a Tuesday after not sleeping much this weekend. I don't know what words are. So one of the things I kept making her do during our section was I would ask her, when's the last time you smiled? And then she'd smile. So if you don't know this trick, I use it in hard runs, hard workouts, long runs, whenever I'm feeling down. When you force yourself to smile – okay, don't quote me on this. When you force yourself to smile, it sends signals to your brain – to release happy chemicals, I think, if I remember that correctly. And it can help you like reduce tension and just loosen up. So I made her smile a bunch of times, <laughs> which hopefully it helped. So once we got out, we could see the open field across the way. We were running, like I said, east. And then when we took the sharp turn to go north, then we were on pavement. And this is about when it got dark so we got to see the sunset which is really pretty if you've ever been out in the Leadville area you know it's very pretty there's mountains everywhere and this is when we needed headlamps so at this point I think it was 15 820 where we got the headlamps out and at this point in the segment we kept leapfrogging with some guys which was actually happening for most of the segment And one of my jobs as pacer was to let Lucy know, like, this is just, it's another man. It's not the third place female. Like, you're good. We don't need to speed up. Just keep doing what you're doing. Let them do what they're doing. But on the pavement road, at one point, you turn to start going northwest across the field to get to the aid station. And we couldn't find the turn. So we both had two different maps we were looking at. So I was looking at Trail Run Project and Lucy had downloaded the course map, I think onto her watch. And we're running along the road and we both look at the map. We were like, we missed the turn. And we're like, how did we miss the turn? Like we didn't see anything. So we turned around. There were there were a cluster of other runners around us. One guy was really struggling. He was super nauseous by this point. Another guy just wanted to sit down. And Lucy was like, don't sit down, man. He was like, no, I'm going to sit down. He just sat down on the road. So we're talking to them. We're like, do you guys know where the turn is? Have you seen the turn? Then we like go to the place where the map says the turn is. And there's just a fence there. And we're like, this can't be right. Like, there's no possible way we can turn here. 
So eventually, Lucy and I, or Lucy, I should say, and I followed her. She was like, let's just keep going. Like, there are no flags. This can't be the turn. We couldn't have missed it. So we kept going. Lo and behold, the turn was farther up. So thanks, Maps, for steering us wrong. But at this point, once we turned onto that field, Lucy just was going. This point, I'm dying. (laughs) Yeah, we, in our section, we ran a lot of like, I want to say 11 minute paces, which, you know, some of you might be like, that's not fast. When you're running on trails and Lucy's at mile, you know, 62 and a half to 76.9. And I'm just honestly not really used to running that running continuously that far. Uh it was pretty cool. We were it felt like we were going fast to me. So yeah, I'm looking at the Strava file right now. On the climbs, we were doing 16 to 19 minute miles. And then once we got towards the downhill, yeah, we were going between like 11 to 13 minute miles. And then towards the end, we got a little slower because that's when Lucy was struggling more to run just because she was in so much pain, as one can imagine. But our last mile was an 1130 uh, coming into Outward Bound, which was really cool. So that was my pacing section, also my longest run of my training block. And it was really fun to pace, honestly. And it reminded me that long runs are much less miserable when you are running with someone. Doesn't make them less hard. This was probably my hardest long run that I've done in this training block, but it, I don't know, looking back on it, it like flew by just because we were either chatting or We just got into this groove where we were both running, you know, it was fun. And we managed to hold the 15 minute gap on the third place woman throughout our segment. So we were happy about that. And yeah, she was still in second when we got to outward bound, which was mile 76.9. And at this point we swapped pacers. So I stopped, Joel started and another quick aid station. She had some broth. We tried to get some more calories in her. And she was off. So then at that point, I'm back with the crew. It's a little before 9 p.m. Clara had joined us at this point and had decided to stay with us for the rest of the race because she was no longer pacing. So that was exciting. This part was the hardest part for me, I think, because... I knew I needed to eat after that pacing section. Like 15 miles is a long run. And especially because we were expecting that Lucy would finish somewhere between like 2.30, 3.30. So like, you know, and I hadn't really eaten enough before the pacing section. So I was like, I know I'm in a hole right now. I need I need to refuel and get some more calories in my body. But like I just did not want to eat anything. Uh, I did feel pretty well on our segment. So I had a nutrition alert every 30 minutes on my watch, which was helpful because then I could just tell Lucy when to eat, remind her to sip throughout in between the nutrition alerts. And then I would take in my own fuel every 30 minutes. But 
even even with that, you know, throughout the rest of the day, not fueling super well, I was definitely in a hole after running those 15 miles. And I don't think I took in anything until we got to the next aid station, which was May Queen. So we left our bound right after Lucy left. And then we were driving to May Queen. And I want to say it was like a 30 minute drive ish. So somewhere between like 930, 945, we get in there and we were guessing Lucy would be coming through around 11 p.m. And just sitting in the van, I did not want anything. I was sipping on the remaining water I had in my pack. So I was hydrating at least, but there wasn't like nothing was appealing. I didn't, I brought so much food and so many snacks into this van for this day and I did not want any of it. It was, it was rough. Some of you might relate. It's like, you know, when you do a long run or a hard run and then you're just, your stomach is kind of weird after and you don't want to take anything in. So we hung out in the van. I changed my clothes, which was honestly one of the best things to happen all day because <laughs> after being at out in the sun all day and then running like my clothes were super sweaty and so it felt nice to just be a little fresher for, <laughs> for the remainder of the day um, I tried to finish Lucy's ramen but uh like I said I did not want anything so that was really less than ideal Eventually, we walked down to the aid station to set up our chairs and everything around, I think, 1030, just in case she came through early. And then I finally had a core power to replace some protein um, and get some liquid calories. And probably around 11 something, I finally felt a hunger pang and I ate a fig bar. I love those things. Uh, but as you can see, like, that's really not that much. So... Uh, did not get brownie points for fueling on Saturday, especially around, around my run. So do not recommend that, but you know, we live and we learn. What are you going to do? So we didn't have any service when we got to May Queen. So we had no idea when Lucy would be coming through because one thing we did as Pacers, we all have Garmin's. So we all set up the live tracking. So when I was on my section, Lena and Ben would get, they got an email to view my live tracking segment so they could see exactly where we were the whole time. And then when Joel was on his section, which was the section between Outward Bound and May Queen, he had an email go to me, Lena and Ben, but we didn't have service. So we had no idea where they were. And all we had were like the pace estimates that I had put into the spreadsheet of when she might come through. And honestly, the later that it got in the race, the less accurate or the less we could trust those pace estimates because this was her first 100. I did not know. I, you know, it was, there's a wider margin for error at this point because who knows what's going to happen at the end of a hundred mile or when you haven't been there before, like how much you're going to slow down, how much you're going to be hurting, um, all of that. So all that to say, we were thinking she was going to be coming through a little after 11 and she ended up coming through 
a little before midnight. And at this point, the this aid station was very sparse in terms of crew, partially because of the hour, because a lot of finishers finish. I think a statistic I heard today was most finishers finish between 28 and 30 hours. So they're not coming through May Queen at midnight. So yeah, we were, we're sitting there every time we'd see headlamps. It was dark by this point, obviously. So we would see headlamps coming down the road, but we didn't know who it was. So every time we see headlamps, we're like, is it Lucy? Is it her? And eventually, obviously it was her. So at this point, Joel was stopping pacing and Lena was starting for the final stretch. So May Queen is the last aid station before the finish. And there's 12.65 miles in that last segment. So when she came through, she was still in second at this point. But we, once Lucy left, we are walking back to the van. And then we saw the third place female sitting at the aid station as we were walking back. And we were just like, oh, no. And yeah, we didn't know how long the third place female will be staying in the aid station. So like I said before, Lucy's one of her strengths is just being very quick in the transition between aid stations. She gets what she needs and she goes. There's no dilly-dallying. So she had that going for her. We knew that Lucy had left before um, third place. So then we're driving back from May Queen into the town of Leadville and parking back where we had originally started and slept the night before. So once we got service, uh, we got an update on the times for when the athletes left May Queen. And then we saw third place was only five minutes behind Lucy. So and luckily at this point, Lena had service. So we were texting and she was like, how far behind is third? So that I can tell Lucy. And I was like, you have five minutes. So Lena really dropped the hammer on this last segment so that third could not catch up to her. And so we go back towards the start and I think we got back around 10, no, not 10. What am I talking about? <laughs> it was after midnight. I think we got back at 1230, 1245. So we were thinking that she would finish, like I said, somewhere between two and four we were pretty confident she was finishing in under 24 hours, which was one of the goals. And But we didn't know where in those final two hours. So we all took a nap until 2 a.m. so that we could then walk down to the end of the street, the final stretch of street, because at mile 99, you can have your crew, other pacers, anyone you want to join you and run you in. So we were waiting at the end of the final turn of the course uh, so we could run Lucy in, all of us. And at this point, it was not super cold, but for some reason I was wearing sweatpants, a sweatshirt, and my puffy. And then I realized that I was going to have to run with all of that. And I was just like, this is a stupid mistake. Um, And it was a stupid mistake. I got so sweaty in that final. It was actually three quarters of a mile that we joined Lucy in. But yeah, once she got to us, she was still moving really well. 
And we ran her in. Her last mile was like a 12-minute pace, a little faster than that. Her last mile of 100 miles, it was so impressive. And if you've seen the Leadville course, this last mile is not easy. There is a pretty uh, rude hill. You have to run up, then you run down, and then the final hill goes to the finish. That one's more gradual than the first hill, but like, it's not a flat mile after you've covered 99 miles already. So we ran her in. Her final time was 23-16-51. She did secure a second place female, and she finished 16 minutes ahead of third. So Lena and Lucy made up that the time that had been lost. It was amazing. It was a very emotional finish. I'm so proud of her. And it was just, it was so inspiring just to see how much fight that she had in her when she was in so much pain and such big lows, like, and just the physical pain, the mental pain, and just seeing how much she pushed through to make it happen. So we finally went to sleep (laughs) at like 4 a.m. And then, you know, I tried to sleep for as many hours as I could, but I got a phone call at 7 a.m. from my husband, apparently. So we have Life 360, which is a a way we can see where each other is. It just like it tracks you. And apparently my Life 360 went down at 1 a.m. And at that point, well, before that point, when we were at May Queen, like I said, we had lost service. So I stopped responding to texts. And then once we got service again, I didn't want to text him because I didn't want to wake him up. So, so he last heard from me probably like, a, uh, I don't know, 9.30 p.m. And then Life360 is like, we don't know where she is. So he called me. He's like, where are you? And I was like, I'm asleep in my car in Leadville. <laughs> he was like, oh, my God, I've been freaking out. I'm so sorry. So, yeah, I was waking up at 7 a.m. But then I ended up falling back asleep for another, like, hour. Eventually got up. We got coffee and breakfast in town. And then there was an award ceremony where Lucy got flowers, this disc thing. And, yeah, we got to see all of the the podium winners for overall age groups. The finishers of the Lead Man Challenge, which is every race in the series, including mountain bike races, which is wild. There were only 36 chains or 36 finishers and only two were women which you know hopefully that'll change one day but pretty pretty badass for those who did finish okay so that was like the whole weekend i eventually got home at like 3 30 p.m driving home from the mountains on a sunday not the best thing in the world lots of traffic but yeah, and then Sunday night, I slept for, or I was in bed for 12 and a half hours. Um, my alarm went off at 6 a.m. And I was like, immediately, no, turn that shit off. <laughs> and then after Ty left, I slept, yeah, till 9.30, which is really out of character for me. And now it's Tuesday and I'm still not, still not recovered from sleep deprivation. Today, I could not for the life of me wake up at my normal hour, which I normally wake up between like 6 and 6.15. Today, I snooze till 6.40. My alarm went off at 5.45. Whew, it's just been rough. I felt really tired, but it was a really fun weekend. 
And so some lessons and takeaways that I, this is not an exhaustive list. I tried to take notes on as much as I could remember, but I'm sure there's so much that I'm missing. Honestly, whenever I read a memoir from someone, I'm like, how do you remember all of these details? Because I, like I'm saying, I, I couldn't even remember all the details of my pacing section that happened, you know, three days ago. So anyway, lessons and takeaways. First, crewing is a lot of fun. If you have the chance to crew someone in a trail race, an ultra, I highly recommend you do it. It's a great way to be part of the community. It's a great way to be in the environment. You don't have to race. If you do want to race, obviously that's great. But being the crew member is just like you're part of someone's journey and you're helping them reach their goal and you get to see you get to see them fight their demons, you know, or race really well or both at the same time. So crewing is amazing and I want to do more of it. So it was a great first 100 miler to crew, especially being not super far from where I live. Second one, pacing is hard and also fun. And this one is kind of because of who I was pacing. Like I said, Lucy's a high caliber athlete. So it was tough, but it was really fun to be there to support her for those 15 miles. And it really showed me that I can do hard things. And I've kind of come to the conclusion I need to accept that long runs, the nature of my long runs currently are just going to be hard just because of what I'm training for. I'll talk more about that in a bit once I get through my list of lessons and takeaways. But yeah, if you can pace someone, you can be immensely helpful to them, like more than you realize. And this, again, it's a lot of fun. You get to run some of a race course without racing the whole course. Like I have no desire to run the Leadville 100. It looks so hard. Or at least I should say I have no desire at this current moment in time. But it was really fun being able to run 15 miles of it and getting to see part of the course and just getting to experience what all the runners get to experience when they go through aid stations and getting cheers and all of that. Third takeaway is as a crew and especially as a pacer, you have got to take care of yourself throughout the day for your runner. Like I said, I like the sleep hard to do much more than I did. The eating let's be honest. I I got an F in that arena. But especially as a pacer like depending on your runner, they need you to be towards your best, you know, so that you can not be the limiter in their race. So it's really important to keep up with your fueling, your sleep, your hydration and making sure that you feel as good as you can feel for your runner because at the end of the day, you're there to support them in their race. So that was kind of a wake up call. So I was like, oh, I thought I was going to be a lot better at the fueling and everything than this. At the end of the day, I felt pretty good on the run, but definitely could have improved in that area. I did hydrate enough, though. I think that's one thing I did pretty well. Although being at 10,000 feet, is just kind of brutal when you're not used to it. So, yeah. My next takeaway is if you want to feel more inspired, just go to a 100-mile race. 
if nothing else, if you go in the golden hour, which is the last hour of finishers before the cutoff, so mile 29 to 30 in Leadville's case, it's so inspiring. You get to see people who have been running for so long, been on their feet for so long, trying to reach the finish before the cutoff, and the streets are just lined with people cheering for them, and it's just, it's awesome. I imagine it is... It might be similar to like the Boston Marathon because I hear that course is uh, very highly attended from spectators. If, you know, for my marathoners out there, if you need a frame of reference. But yeah, I mean, just thinking about the enormity of a 100-mile race is just wild. Like y'all started at 4 a.m. and you're finishing between 9 and 10 a.m. the next day. You covered 100 miles. It's amazing. And Leadville in particular is a very fun atmosphere. I understand why people love Leadville and why people love volunteering and spectating, crewing there. Twin Lakes, like I said, is a really fun aid station. You get to see so many people. It's a cute little town too. It's beautiful. You're right next to a lake in between some mountains it's awesome. So if you can go to Leadville, I would recommend. Okay. And these final two, I are takeaways from Lucy specifically. One is that you can dig deeper than you think. Cause I witnessed her dig the deepest she's ever dug and she did amazing. And two, shoot your shot. So on our segment, she was telling me about the first part of the race and kind of her thought process and strategy because like I said she was ahead of what we estimated and she told me she intentionally went out harder to see what she could do so like she she embodied shoot your shot because in order to see what you can truly achieve you need to take risks at the end of the day you can't race conservatively and being a competitive runner that she is like she wanted to see what she could do so She took that risk and, you know, it paid off. It was amazing. So I I found that really inspiring. Even if you're not running 100 mile races, like I'm going to take that into my next, you know, road 5K because you all know I love road 5Ks to maybe go out a little hotter than I think I should just to see what I can do. So yeah, just embodying those. And then my final takeaway is... Something that I was just like realizing while being out there is, and I mentioned these studies in the diversity and trail running discussion I had with Vivian, the studies by running diversity, no, running industry diversity coalition. And I felt very included this weekend. I felt very safe while running on the trails. It's honestly the safest I have I've ever felt trail running is in races and I was just kind of reflecting while in that environment that from those studies we learned that for many BIPOC runners they don't feel super safe or they don't feel as safe as white runners in races and they don't feel as included and it just came to my mind I was just like yeah this is a very white race there's a lot of white runners and 
honestly, like I can see why for BIPOC runners, it would not feel as inclusive because they don't see as many people who look like them. Whereas, you know, me being a white runner, almost everyone around me looks like me. So it's easy to feel more included and safer on the trails. I like in the race setting, there's not really many threats to me as a white runner um, versus, you know, what may be for BIPOC runners. So obviously there's been a lot in that arena this year in the ultra world. And I imagine that there will be some discussion after Leadville about the lack of diversity and all of that, um, which is important because, you know, you can see it on the social media for all of these races. There's there's not much diversity and that needs to change. But that's my last takeaway from this weekend. And I'm going to close out because with uh, just a little bit how I'm feeling now about my current training. Because if you listen to last week, I I think it was last week. I was just talking about how like I haven't really been excited about training. And I was hoping that this weekend and this coming weekend would help with that. So this coming weekend, I'm running a 16 or 17 mile race in Steamboat Springs. And yeah, that one's going to be hard too. <laughs> Overall, I'm, I'm feeling a little more excited about training. Like I was saying, I think that it a lot of it comes down to mindset because um, the long runs have been wearing me down slowly slowly but surely. And that's partially because my 50 miler is hard. There's a lot of vert. So I need to practice having a lot of vert in long runs, which by nature makes them harder, makes them slower. And yeah, mentally for me, that is harder. So I think part of what will help me moving forward is just that acceptance. Like Going into a long run, it's not supposed to be easy. I signed up for this hard-ass race. (laughs) I have to train in the same manner to be prepared for this. So, like, one, I get to do this. One, I chose to do this. No, that's two. One, I get to do this. Two, I chose to do this. (laughs) Three, it's going to be hard, and that's okay because I can do hard things. So, and just being at a 100-miler and seeing all the pain Lucy went through kind of, like, put my long runs into perspective. Like, they're really not that hard (laughs) compared to Leadville 100. And like I was saying, with my 50 miler being so hard, like I've intentionally been choosing hard routes for my long runs. So like, obviously they're going to be hard. So I don't, I don't know why I've been getting so down about the fact that they feel hard. Part of it is just like, I've been getting caught up in the comparison game and like, I feel like I'm not doing enough, even though... I have been having the highest training weeks, volume-wise, in years, week after week. Like, I've been up near 40 miles for the past month, I think, which is, this has not happened in my adult life since I left college. So, realizing that, I was like, who? Who am I to think I'm not doing enough? Like, I'm doing more than I've ever done since leaving college in training for an ultra and I'm choosing hard courses for my long runs. Like I'm doing a lot. I don't need to be doing more every single week. There are some weeks in September that I'm going to do more because 
I want some bigger runs before the 50. Um, and we're like getting into the peak weeks, but like it just gave me some perspective. Like I'm doing a lot and I'm, I'm doing the hard things even when they don't feel the best. Um, I am also still pretty sore <laughs> after pacing, but I think most of that is because I didn't get much recovery. Like I said, I did not feel well after, obviously didn't sleep enough after until the next night. And so all things considered, I feel pretty good after that run, which does give me some confidence. And yeah, I think those are my my current feelings about training. I am excited for the race this weekend. If it ends up being 17 miles, I'm glad I downloaded the GPX files so that now I will be prepared for that. But basically this race is, this was the one I was going to run the 50K, but I dropped down to the 16 or 17, whatever it happens to be. So because I'm not doing the longer distance, I don't get to run on flat at all. (laughs) So there is a little over 4,000 feet of gain in this race. And it's all in the first half because as soon as we get to the top, we turn around and come back down. Whereas the 50K gets to the top and then they run around at the top for a bit to get to, you know, those extra 15 miles and then they run down. So it's going to be, it's going to be a hard race, but I get to practice my uphill running, which is going to be important for the first part of my 50 miler. I get to practice my downhill running, which will be important for the middle part of my 50 miler. And I get to be in Steamboat Springs, which is a place that I love. It's so pretty. I haven't been there in years. So I'm trying to change my mindset to be excited. It's going to be fun. It's going to be hard. And then I'm going to do a back-to-back. So the next day, hopefully I'll get out for 10 miles. And then I think I'll feel a little better about everything. But yeah, that, that, how long have I been talking? Oh my God, it's been an hour and almost 20 minutes. I think this is the longest I've ever talked by myself on a podcast. We'll have to check that. Anyway, that was my experience at Leadville. If you've listened this long, thank you so much for listening. I appreciate you. If you have any other questions about Leadville, feel free to ask me. Maybe it'll spark some memories that I have forgotten. Because like I said, there's there was so much that happened and I do not remember all of it. So even though I talked for a long time, this was still like Cliff Notes version of the entire experience. So yeah, shoot me questions. Coaching class on Instagram, Kelly at coachingclass.com, email. And yeah, next week. I will be doing a recap of my race this coming weekend. So stay tuned and I'll talk to you next week. Bye. That's a wrap on this week's episode. Thank you so much for listening to this. If you like this podcast, please rate subscribe, review everything you do for podcasts wherever you listen to them. It helps me out immensely and helps other people find the show and just spread my message. 
And if you haven't already, connect with me on Instagram or TikTok at Coaching Klutz. You can also find me at my website, coachingklutz.com, if you're looking for my coaching services or any of my running programs. And I will talk to you all next time.